This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, got a couple of interviews for you. Alexander Rakic takes on Anthony Smith on Saturday in the UFC's main event. We will talk to Mr. Rakic as he stops by the show. Laura Sanko also comes by the show to recap last night's Tuesday Night Contender Series event, and we go into the mailbag. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about that mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Huge, huge light heavyweight contest on Saturday. Anthony Smith takes on our next guest, who we've had our eye on here for quite some time. You know, had a bit of a setback in his last contest, but he is definitely headed for big places. We'll see what happens on Saturday. It's the one and only Alexander Rakic. Hi, Alexander. How are you? Hey, hi. I'm feeling great. Thank you for thank you for reminding me in your show. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, we've definitely had our eye on you for, for some time, Alexander, so it's long overdue that we get you on here. Um, so let's back up a step here, if we can, and set, the, uh, set the, uh, the context. You had a very, very tough fight against Uzdemir. He edged it out, and then the UFC came back to you with this fight. I got to tell you, if you win this one, you know, that is a top five invitation. You're right back in the thick of things. What do you think it says about you that the UFC booked this fight uh, right away. Yeah, yeah. You, like you said, I had a. I would say I would. I had a good fight against Volkan. Uh, it was tough, but not the toughest. And I mean, you already said uh, I got Anthony Smith as the next opponent after this fight, a better ranked opponent than Volkan. Uh, the UFC knows who won that fight, and the whole world knows that I got dropped against Volkan. So I, and I didn't feel like a loser in that fight at any seconds. So, and UFC gave me Anthony as the next opponent, and now getting the main event in Vegas at the fight capital, that's amazing, and I'm so happy about it. All right, so let's talk about Anthony Smith. You know, I'm, I'm guessing you're a guy who, on some level or another, does his homework on his opponents. When you size up the challenge, what, what do you see? Of course, man. Uh, me and my team are studying every opponent, and we already study the other fighters, you know, uh, in the division and in the in the rankings. Uh, about Anthony, he is a very uh, very experienced guy. He's been in the octagon so many times. He fought so many main events, and he fought also against John Jones for the title. And the most, the most, uh, the I mean, I would say he's dangerous. He's very tough, uh, but uh, the experience is his uh, hardest and the, and the, and the fiercest weapon. Uh, he's very tricky. He's sneaky, tricky, you know, and he sometimes he acts in the fight like he's tired or he got hurt, and then he comes back, you know. We, we watched, we, we, me and my team rewatched all his fights, and uh, we are prepared for him, and... Uh, for everything else, what he can bring it. You know, you mentioned experience. I want to circle back between this fight and the Uzdemir fight. What was the biggest lesson you took from the Uzdemir fight? I mean, after the fight, you, we, we rewatched our, uh, my fight, and you can always do something better, you know. Uh, in this fight, in, in the Uzdemir fight, I needed a finish, you know. 
because I got dropped, you know, and like Dana White says, you need to finish fights, don't leave it to the judges if you want to win, you know, and that's that's uh, what, what what's maybe happened on Saturday, but I'm ready, you know, for 15 minutes of war. I'm not going to force anything, you know. I've been doing my homework. I've been uh, uh, training hard for this one, and especially after the welcome fight, we made some small changes in the camp and in the in the training, and we did our homework, and especially the last two months was hell for me for the camp. And, uh, yeah, you're going to see on Saturday uh, a different Alexander Rakic, a better version than against Volkan Uzdemir. Now, you said 15 minutes. You mean 25, or is this fight three rounds, and I didn't realize that? Oh, no, it's three rounds fight. Uh, it because, is three uh, rounds. Me and Anthony were supposed to fight at co-main event, and oh, that's the right. main event dropped off. Yes, the main event dropped off, and yeah, we we came to... Uh, the, the UFC asked us, you want to do main event five rounds? And I would say, yeah, I can do it five rounds, but it didn't happen, so they leave it to three, and yeah, I'm happy about okay. it, you know, three or five. I mean, the camp is different when you when you when you're gonna pre- get prepared for five, you know. But I'm so self confident sure. in myself. I did a hell of a camp. I did a really hard sparrings, and uh, I'm ready for for everything, you know. Alexander Rakic joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. Alexander, I'm looking at your Instagram. Tons of great photos. Let me start with some things that I see that are kind of interesting. First, you posted a picture on August 8th. So just a few weeks ago, and it was you and Krokop and you were in, I guess, were you in Zagreb? So how did you end up training with him? And what was it like? Yes. Uh, I mean, I did my whole camp in Zagreb, Croatia at the American top team. We had a wow. great facility there. We had a big UFC cage. We have a good sparring partner there. And me and my team uh, was two months there. And uh, Krokop, who lives in, in, in Zagreb, and he, he has his own gym there. Uh, and it was only like a, a dream came true for me. You know? um, when, I, when, I, when I was training there, and I talked to my coaches and I tell them, Man, I need to visit Krokop. I need to train with him, and I need to talk to him. He is one of my idols. You know, I've been watching Krokop since Pride, and I drop him a message, and I would I ask him, Hey, can I come to your gym? Can I train with you? And and he says, Yes, of course you can come. And yes, I came there. I trained with Krokop. I wrestled with him. I grapple. He was holding me pads. He gave me some instructions. Some some advices and this was like a, a dream came true you know I was like I was uh, before I went to the gym I was a little bit nervous you know when you get excited when you meet someone who you like a lot and yeah Krokop told me I can come whenever I want to his gym I can train with him and in his gym wow. I'm welcome and I'm happy and I'm gonna do it differently Wow, that's great. So, did you get a chance to hold pads for his patented left high kick? <laughs> no, I didn't hold. Uh, no, but uh, he was only showing me in front of me the high kick. You know, he didn't hit me in the pads because he was like, no, hold me pads. You have a fight. You know, we never know what's going to happen, you know. And, yeah. But he was standing, standing in front of me and he does this left high kick 
And this was the fastest high kick and I ever seen in my life. I didn't even see the kick coming, you know. He's, he, this man has still, still, uh, still gas in the tank, you know. He can still fight. He can still fight and would make good results in the, in, in the fight, you know. But he, he retired, you know. But he loves this sport and he's training. I talk to him. He's training every day, almost every day, Sundays off. And that's amazing. I would love to be the same as he as he is in the in his age. Total total beast. Uh, you mentioned that there's an ATT facility, I guess, in Zagreb. Were you in there? Because I mean, I, let me ask you this: If there was no pandemic, would you have gone to Coconut Creek, or would you still have been in Croatia? I mean, uh, I like American Top Team in Coconut Creek, Florida. I loved it. I did four camps there. And everything went well, but you know I'm now in this in this time in the top you know top ten. I need 100% uh, focus on on me. The coaches need to be 100% focused on me, and that's the reason I would choose uh, uh, American Top Team Zagreb because I went two months with my coaches team. You know me and other four coaches there and. Like I said, the focus was 100% on me, you know. Every sparring we did, we made it like a fight, a fight simulation. The breaks between the, the, the sparrings, it, it was like a, a, a real break in the UFC. Put a chair, sit down, coaching, giving water, you know. And, uh, yeah, we did like a very, very hard but quality camp. And I think this is the next level for me, you know. And the picking... Picking the sparring partner, we picked sparring partner, uh, strong guys who who looks who who had almost the same style as Anthony Smith, the height, the reach, you know, the uh, the, the strength, the power, and I think you don't need any anything else. You know what? As fighters get more senior in their career, they have to build things around themselves. I think it's totally understandable and probably the right move. Going back to your uh, Instagram, Alexander, there's a picture here of you as well, and it looks like you were deadlifting on a hex bar. There's a ton of weight on there. Are you big into Are you big into deadlifting, or was this just sort of a random occurrence? It's not a thing in your life very often. Uh, I mean. I love deadlifting and I love strength training and I've been uh, in the quarantine when everything was closed. I had the ability to train in the garage of my friend and I was training a lot of uh, uh, strength, you know. I I was squatting a lot, deadlifting a lot and yeah, this was, uh, this picture is not a a picture for posing. This is a a live picture after I I lift uh, 215 kilos i think this is like 440 pounds i guess or something like yep. that uh yep. I, I lifted 10 times with no problems jesus really i don't 215 kilos is more like 470 you did that 10 times really, no sweat yeah 200 this was 215 kilos wow Wow, you're dude. You must be strong as an you ox. Have, if you if you go down on my Instagram, down, 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 you're gonna see another video of the of the deadlift. You know, with 215 kilos, and there is the video, and then you can count. It's 10 reps for 215. 
Oh, okay. Well, I'm definitely going to do that. That is an, that, the, holy shit. That must be, that is an absurd amount of strength for someone your weight. By, by the way, how much weight do you cut on fight week? What do you come down? When you land in the States, right? What are you weighing? Yeah. I mean, I was like pretty, uh, I'm following every, every weight cut, you know, and my weight cut in Korea and in Stockholm. And I'm pretty always the same, you know? I start my weight cut to, uh, I mean, I start my diet with 105 kilos and I have just a couple of kilos, no more than five kilos I have to cut, you know, and that's yes, great, you know, I have good meals, I drink water and I don't do even sauna or hot bath, I don't need it, I can do it with my diet and only with training, hitting pads and wrestling and grappling, so the weight cut going really, really easy for me. Really easy. And I By would the way, say, go ahead. if the UFC says, hey, let's fight now with this weight, I would say, okay, let's fight. I have no problem with this, you know? Hmm. Amazing. That's great to hear. By the way, do you speak Croatian? Like when you and uh, Krokop are talking, it's, what language is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's Croatian. I'm, I mean, my parents and I am a fro- from a fro- former Yugoslavia, you know? And Croatia yeah. was part of the form, former Yugoslavia. I'm, uh, I'm, a Ser- I'm from Serbia, but I was born and raised in Austria. It's not far away. And yeah, I speak fluid Serbian Croatian. It's almost the same language. I speak fluid and I feel like a Serbian guy, you know? And so wait a I second. You speak. Krokop in Croatian, yeah. Okay, I so you speak. I can speak the language and I can write the language. No problems. Wow. Okay. So let's 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 uh, stack this up here. You speak fluent English, fluent Croatian, fluent Serbian, which you say is close, but still, it's a separate language. I'm am- I'm I'm assuming if you're from Austria, you m- must speak fluent German as well. How many languages do you speak? Yeah. I mean, I speak. Let's see. I speak three because Serbian and Croatian is almost the same. You know, it's only the dialect is different. So, but I speak three languages. Wow. That's pretty incredible, man. That's, that's amazing. My, that's, English, uh, you know what? my English is still not the best yet, but uh, I'm learning and, uh, yeah, I'm learning with the interviews I'm going to do all day and talking to my coaches. Two of them uh, speak only English. So, yeah, I'm learning every day. But German and Serbian, I speak even better than English. Wow. Well, I got to tell you. Your English is great, and if it gets better from here, you're going to be in an even better position. Let's uh, circle back, if we can, to your Anthony Smith fight. You know, I'm sure you saw what happened in his last contest against Glover Teixeira. What did you make of everything there? What, did, what lesson did you learn from watching him there? I mean, uh, I watched the fight. I watched it a couple of times. Uh, Anthony started the fight really good, really aggressive. I mean, Glover is a... He's an experienced guy as well, and he fought also for the title, and he took his time, he was patient, and he came, he came back, you know, he dropped Anthony, but uh, Anthony is a tough guy, he handled this uh, really good, and he, you know, his nickname is the Lionheart, and in this fight he showed his heart, you know, he didn't give up, and, but he took a lot of damage, that's true, uh, he lost his teeth in the fourth round, what uh, this is, this was the first time I see this happen in a fight, you know, and he gave the teeth to the referee. That's even crazier, you know, <laughs> uh, respect to Anthony. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he took a lot of damage, you know, in in that fight, and I was reading like he had the orbital, um, the bone, the orbital bone broke, and the nose broke, and uh, concussion or what else, you know, and he came really fast back, you know, and uh, he took the fight like uh, now our fight on a couple months later, like three four months later, and. He pretty heals really fast, and I'm happy to fight him on 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 Saturday. Uh, yeah, like I said, he's a tough, experienced guy, and he knows what he's doing. And I'm so you, excited for this challenge on on Saturday. I guess my question would be: When you see somebody who you know is that tough, right? They're just not going to quit under normal circumstances. Does that change the way you approach the fight from a strategy in, as it relates to pacing? Do you have to rethink things given some of those factors? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have my game plan, and I'm going to follow my game plan. And uh, we are all different. I'm different than Glover, you know. Uh, I have the size is different, you know, and, uh, and let's test on Saturday how the injuries in the face heals, you know, you know, let's test it, you know, you never know, a fight is a fight, you know, a one, uh, one second, one step forward, uh, one small step, one blink, you know, and the fight is over. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow my plan, my game plan, what we, what we was, uh, what we, me and my coaches talking about and, and preparing. And we will see what happens. You know, I'm going to see how Smith reacts on that. And then uh, maybe I'm going to change it. Or, yeah, let's see what, what, what he's bringing to the table. If he's going to the wrestling part, what's absolutely understandable because I'm a striker. But uh, I worked on my wrestling really hard these two weeks, uh, two, two months, sorry. And, yeah, I mean, you never can follow the game plan 100%. You need to make changes in in the fight. So he need to he need to react like we was supposed like we was thinking so it's going to go by our plan but if not I'm ready for everything. All right, so two more questions for you we'll let you go. Number 1, John Jones leaving the division. Is it good for light heavyweight or is it bad for light heavyweight? It's good and it's bad. I mean, for me, it's good because the title shot is even shorter now without John. Bad is if you become a champion, the people are going to say, ah, you're not the real champion. You need to beat John Jones to be the champion. That's true, you know. But maybe John going to the heavyweight division to fight one, two, three times, and he's going to come back for the light heavyweight division to, to challenge the champion there. So you never know. Uh, I mean... I know, I understand John, why he lived the light heavy division. He was so long there, you know, and has many, many title defenses, and he wants new challenges, you know, for themselves. And also because a new generation is coming, new era like me, and we are very dangerous. The MMA sport is growing every day. And, yeah, we we will see, you know, what's happening in the future. Or I'm going to meet John in the future in the heavyweight division. We never know, you know. And then last but not least, we have a title fight for your weight class. Dominic Reyes, Jan Blahovich. Who wins? Yeah. I mean, Dominic and, and Jan deserve the title fight. You know, both of them, I mean, Dom lost against uh, John for split decision. It was a very close fight, very good performance by Dominic Reyes. Uh, Jan Blahovic, uh, 
did a great job in the light heavyweight division in his last fight. So they both deserve the fight, uh, the the title fight. I for this fight I picked Reyes. Uh, he's more. I would say he's more the athletic guy and he's a southpaw, you know, and southpaw guys getting used to fight orthodox guys, you know. Uh, orthodox guys are not so so much used to fight southpaw guys. And uh, But look, Jan is, is, is for a reason he's fighting for the title. He's very dangerous, you know, and he's an all-rounder. He can uh, knock you out and he can submit you. He can wrestle. So it's going to be a very interesting fight. I'm going to I'm going to watch this fight uh uh I'm going to watch this fight and maybe I'm going to see my next opponent, you know. We're going to see. We certainly are. Well, can't wait for Saturday. Alexander, nice to uh, meet you over the phone. We've been very impressed with what you've done in the UFC and can't wait for Saturday. Thank you for making some time for us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it and have a good day. You too. There he goes. Alexander Rakic, Luke Thomas Show, coming right back. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. A new season of Dana White's Contender Series is off and running. And the Luke Thomas Show knew exactly who to turn to for a weekly recap. It's the one and only Laura Sanko. Former fighter and roving MMA reporter Laura Sanko is ready to break down all the action from the show. Your segment names are fire. If I'm going to do this on a regular basis, Luke, I need a segment name. She asked for it. She got it. Here to recap all of Tuesday night's fights. This is About Last Night with Laura Sanko. All right, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Let's get right to it. Joining us now via the magic of Zoom in Las Vegas, my friend and yours, host of the program is what I'm going to call it for Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. It is Laura Senko. How are you doing, Laura? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah, Fairfield in, living the life. Love it. Look at you in the lap of uh, not quite luxury. Must be a nice gig. Check out, check out this carpet. Look at that. It's, it's at least been vacuumed once in the last couple of weeks. At least once. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's all I need. That's all I need. I'm from the Midwest. It doesn't take much. Fair enough. Easy to please. Okay, let's get to the results last night. I'm going to start with the one that was causing the most controversy, certainly online. Anthony Romero defeats Mike Breeden. Scores I did not think were all that fair, 30-26, 30-27, and 29-28. I thought Breeden made a strong account of himself, but obviously Romero was the rightful winner. Okay, so yeah. where are you in this debate? He looked to me UFC-ready in terms of the level and sophistication of his talent, but there is something to be said for how you have to approach fighting on this program to get the nod, and I think that's where the disconnect is. That's exactly what it is. Um, we've we've talked about this a number of times over the years. There's certain things that just push Dana Dana's buttons the wrong way, and one of them is not seeing that fire, that that will to finish a fight, um, regardless of you know what you're up against or regardless of how tough your opponent is. And I think he just it bugged him that that he wasn't able to Romero wasn't able to get Mike out of there, and you know Mike's on one leg, and I think you know. What the problem was, you saw Mike's heart 
overshadow his Romero's technique in that fight. And so that's really what caused him the contract. I agree. The kid looked very, very, very good. He's an excellent prospect. I think he'll get a call up um, via another avenue or might even get another shot on the contender. But I think Dana wants to kind of set this precedent that like, it's not just about getting a spectacular finish. If you're going to have a decision, you got to go out there and show a passion and an undying will to try to finish that fight. Right. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, you know, it would not have been a scandal had they given him one, but I wasn't as, I wasn't, I wasn't as incensed as some of the online community because their argument was he's very talented and I'm not here to dispute that he is clearly quite talented but, you know, it was just a little bit like, I'm going to make sure I, I mean, and he also, listen, here's the other problem. Mike Breeden made it hard for him. Mike Breeden was outclassed, but he was not out toughed. And that made it really hard for him to shine. I, I, I totally get it. But a little bit more seasoning at 23 years of age, it could not hurt him. Yeah, he's got plenty of time. And, and you know, obviously Mike is, Mike's a guy that's near and dear to my heart because I see him every day in the gym. Um, and I told him, I said, listen, never would I think that your stock would go up in a loss, but I think it did. You know, I think that your, your ability to show that heart and that durability. And I think, um, there was huh, there a lot of circumstances that I can't even get into that went into this fight. You'll notice that James Krause was not in his corner, um, had, you know, some issues he had to attend to at home. So there were a lot of things that happened to mm. both Mike and Jeff this week that really, um, could have thrown them for a loop. And so I hope that they, I hope Mike either gets a call up or a last minute fight, but Romero definitely UFC ready. All right. So then we start, I'll go back in, in, in order here on the broadcast, the Romero fight, notwithstanding this one seemed to me a very easy call. Colin Huckbody defeating Kyron Bowen arm triangle 128 of the first round, not a ton of footage, but everything that the Romero fight lacked in terms of that intensity and that forward progress, so to speak, Huckbody had, and he appears to be, um, you know, listen, you can get an arm triangle from Mount, you know, this as well as I do, you got to have a serious squeeze. He just absolutely ran through this guy. Perfect showing almost. He's got, he's got an excellent background in the jujitsu side of things and the wrestling side of things. And I do think, uh, he's got the right to be in the UFC. One thing that concerned me in that fight. And if you'll go back and watch it, He's got some body language when he gets hit that I don't love. Um, mm. And so I hope that uh, he can he can watch that fight and really focus on, you know, just becoming a dog on the feet as well. I'm not saying I'm not trying to knock on him at all. I think I think he deserved a contract. I think he's going to do great things in the UFC, but I would like to see him. Um, I'm anxious to see, I guess, in, in his UFC debut, uh, what he's like on the feet, because um Early on in the fight when he got tagged, he did a little bit of the, you know, turning the face away and squinting the eyes, which which to me says that he's not used to getting punched a lot, which, you know, he's a wrestler. He's a grappler. He probably they don't, they don't want to get punched. No one wants to get punched. So uh, I, I think he's going to do great things, but I, I hope he's uh, I hope he's working hard in the meantime. I, know, I always hate that argument. Where people are like, well, no one likes getting punched in the face. Right. But the difference is it doesn't rattle Noguera. Right. He has yeah. absolute military bearing when he gets hit in the face. I'm sure he doesn't like it either. You just can't tell. That's the difference. Yeah. 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 You gotta you gotta not have a big visceral reaction of like, you know, pulling your pulling your face away or shutting your eyes or or 
where you can just see on someone's face that's it's psychologically affecting them. There's just certain fighters earlier in their career, I think, that, that you can see that a little bit. But that's something that can be taken care of just with time and, and getting, you know, getting smashed in the gym a little bit. You get used to it. Right. And I imagine that what happens is he's probably I'm not saying he's better than all of his training partners, but he's probably better than a lot of them. And it looks to me like there's some situational drilling that could be happening, certainly on the feet, if not on the ground. Uh, yeah. OK, Jeffrey Molina defeating Jacob Silva, unanimous decision. This was the flyweight contest of memory serves fantastic back and forth. And they even said it, you know, they gave Molina the contract. And by the way, for folks to clarify, they did not give it to Romero. They did give it to Huck body. So they gave it to Molina, but I was really glad that Dana said what he said, which was, okay, so Jacob Silva didn't win. We're not going to give a guy a deal if he doesn't win, but I'm going to tell the matchmakers, if you need someone on short notice, Jacob Silva's your guy. I'd like to start a little bit backwards here because Molina was sensational, but this is one of the situations where while Breeden made Romero's stock look go a little bit down, both of these guys, talk about a rising tide lifting all boats. This was one yeah. of those performances. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that it was the perfect performance for both of them to showcase their skills. And I would not have been surprised. My jaw would not have hit the floor if Dana would have given Silva a contract. Um, I, I guess, I, you know, the precedent has yet to be set that he would ever do that. I do think, I don't know, I, I keep waiting for a, a, a Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner moment where you just have to. And I, I think it'll happen at some point. But um, he, he clearly is UFC caliber. The UFC needs flyweights. I expect to see Silva in the UFC uh, in very short time. But you're right. He was the perfect opponent to really showcase just the level of technique and durability and fortitude and, and, and ability to make adjustments on the fly, uh, that Jeff has, I actually gave, uh, Silva the third round though. Um, so he, he's the type of fighter he's, he's got, a, he's got a lot of dog in him and Dana loves that. So I think his stock went up and I think he's on a very short list. I, I, my hunch is that what Dana, and again, certainly you would know better than I, but my feeling is that, Dana White wants these guys to fight like dogs, but, you know, in a concerted winning effort. He doesn't yeah. want to send the signal like you can just fight hard. And if you lose, hey, as long as you put on a good show, that's OK. This would still qualify, I think, for the point you raised. Silva also looked to be UFC ready and they're in need of flyweights. But you got to be careful, right? You start handing out contracts to the guys who lose. It might change the calculus of some of these fighters. Yeah, and, and the reality is that there are other X factors that go into the decision-making of getting a contract. What division you're in is huge, right? Uh, it, you're just, it's, and that's kind of the, the luck of genetics. You know, if, if you're a flyweight, you probably have a little bit better chance of, of getting in than when you were a featherweight or a lightweight, you just, um, the welterweight, you know, you, you've, you gotta be a little extra special in those divisions that are, that are full and very, very competitive. All right, so then we go to what was, I guess, sort of the uh, unofficial co-main. Rafael Alves defeating Alejandro Flores, guillotine choke, 255. You know, I, if there is one thing I've learned in all my years of covering MMA, Laura, it's you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, Paul Buentello in his time had some nice wins, and you've seen a lot of muscle-bound dudes get exited early in MMA as well. On the other hand, Rafael Alves, we'll talk about his guillotine in just a second. He just looks like one of those dudes 
I don't know. I don't know if he's a street kid or not. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. he just looks like he had not an easy upbringing, right? Did you did you get that sense about him too? Yeah, he's kind of. He almost looks like you know, Cowboy Oliveira just has this like weathered. Like I've I've seen right. some shit look to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, I, I agree with you. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, he kind of. Uh, he carries himself that way too. I mean, I think, I think he's, I think he's been around the block. I, his interview was um, not as extensive because of the language barrier. They were having a lot of trouble um, kind of digging down into his past and stuff. So I don't have a ton to share there, but um, impressive win, very impressive win. And he's at a good camp. So. Yeah. He's at MMA masters out of Miami. That Flores kid yeah. did not look bad at all, but here was the difference, man. You get these guys who are good at jujitsu and good at MMA jujitsu. Alves's striking did not, I didn't think it was poor, but it did not necessarily wow me, but Flores goes for the takedown and he can't even hit the mat before Alves has that guillotine sunk. I mean, you want to talk about hand in glove, adjusted it a little bit and put him away. What a, what a clamp Alves has super impressive to see that level of uh, skill. I would say on the contender series, to be quite honest. Yeah, it was, that was tight. And I can't even remember if he had a leg over, uh, or, or if he was, or if he had both legs over, but man, I mean, and the jujitsu coach down there, uh, Daniel Valverde, I think is how they pronounce it. Um, I worked with him a tiny bit in the past and I've never, I've never, I've never had someone demonstrate a guillotine so violently on me before. Uh, so I'm not surprised that he, you know, he comes from a school where they just, they really focus in on the fine details of getting those chokes. And man, you do that for enough years, it's going to happen quick like that. And that's the difference in, um, a regular squeeze and uh, a black belt level squeeze. But yeah, it was, it was fast. I mean, how many guys he do we see jump? Shot too. Sorry, right, I didn't mean right. Exa- I was gonna say he forced the shot. Like the way he set that up, he came he came barreling forward and forced his opponent to level change and shoot. So I, I feel like that was not only the choke was impressive, but the way that he kind of created that situation was impressive. Yeah, I mean, to get the clamp like that in such fast transition is really hard. A lot of people have to like almost ease their way into certain submissions, which you don't yeah. always want to do. You want to be as quick as possible, but if you're too quick, it's, it's going to be loose. We saw Dustin Poirier, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, very good on the ground. Mike Brown's been on the show. He's like, dude, he catches everybody with those jump guillotines in practice, but in the fight, it's a different kind of scenario, and I'm not comparing you know, Alejandro Flores to, to, to you know, uh, Dan Hooker, M- merely to say this was the difference. Alves didn't force the, the, the guillotine. He just recognized a moment that he's been in and had an absolutely lights out squeeze. There are subtle differences there, but that's why one submission works and one doesn't. And by the way, he had one leg over, just the one. Okay. Yes. Impressive. Certainly. All right. And then the last one, you know, I, I, I think I missed all of last season of the contender series. It's, I, I, or at least I don't remember, or I don't know what has happened to my brain, but Jamie Pickett defeats uh, Jonathan Patti. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his last name right with, I think yeah. it was either a 21 or 22 punch combo, 33 seconds into round two. I thought the stoppage was clean, by the way, to be clear, this was the third time he was on the show. Get, gets the deal. So I loved everything about this, but what did you see from him over the course of three contender series appearances? 
I just, I, I saw, I saw more of a fire, to be honest with you. I think, I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if it's um, just that final push of like, man, this, this is for sure my last chance. And he knew it too going in. It was, it was his last chance in his own mind. I mean, I really think that he probably would have hung up the gloves if he had lost last night. And so just that last screw it. I am going for this. I'm just going to go out there and literally give everything I have in this next round. He looked, but I will say this too. There was a moment on the ground and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. There was a moment on the ground where he did something incredibly intelligent. Oh, 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 oh. now I remember. Pati was going for a triangle and he did such a beautiful job of not panicking. He passed the other leg uh, across himself so that he would not get triangled. Really beautiful transition to side control. There was a couple of details on the ground that I don't think we would have seen from him a couple of years ago. So it's clear that I mean, he's been putting in the work. He's obviously an athlete and you got to love the guy's ability to go for a finish when he sees that his opponent is a little bit hurt because 22 punches doesn't sound like that much, but that is a lot. That is, that is, you're going to, you're, you're potentially putting yourself in a position to gas yourself out, but he knew he's got to go for it. He's going to get that fight done. So I, I was impressed. I was so happy for him. 22 punches. We, we look at fight metric stats on the show all the time. That's a full round's worth of work. That's a full <laughs> yeah. round. Um, yeah. So by the way, on that pass, I was thinking about this. Tell me, what do you think about my theory? I think he baited it. If you go back and you look, he kind of pries the elbow into the thigh, but not really. He kind of lets it slide over without fighting it. And he had a hand on the foot on the other side before the other one even went off. Um, my hunch is that's a pass he gets on people all the time. He baits them with the, the leg over the shoulder and then goes the other way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, uh, I think he was setting that up from a mile away, which just to me says, I mean, and he is a brown belt. So that was definitely right. brown belt level skill. And uh, I think that he just had the the clarity of mind this time and, and the determination to go out there and really show what he probably knows he's been capable of for a long time and just finally able to dig in there and, and, and show it to Dana and the people that matter. All right, last question before we let you go. Appreciate your time. Very quickly, you are going to be there for Saturday's main event. We just had Alexander Rakic on the show. He clarified for us. I had totally forgotten. It's only going to be a three-round main event, not a five, because it was originally going to be the co-main event. They bumped it up. Okay, neither here nor there. Uh, size those two guys up for me. What are each one, what's each one up against? Okay, I actually think that the three-round makes a ginormous difference, in particular for Anthony Smith, and I've talked to him about this before. He, he's just a guy who does better in a dirty gritty fight where he can keep a crazy pace. This is what we've seen in his last couple fights, right? Especially his last one His his, his round one is awesome. And if he's got three rounds, he knows that it's okay to do that. You know, when he can go in there and out volume guys, clinch him up, make it dirty, but just jab, 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 clinch elbow. When Anthony can fight like that. And he knows he only has three rounds to do that for it's a much much better fight for Anthony. Rakic is a little bit more, uh, you know, patient, but man, I, my concern, I think uh, in terms of, uh, of Anthony's chances in this fight, and I'm, I'm talking like I'm his friend cause I am, uh, Rakic has so much power, I incredibly, incredibly good hands, 
really excellent kickboxing. But I will say that he's 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 so solid everywhere, but he's pretty basic. So I don't think that Anthony, like in the Jones fight, I don't think Anthony's going to get overly frozen like John does to a lot of people. I think he's got less of a potential to blow his wad like we saw him do um, against Glover. So I, I like Anthony in this fight, um, but man, Rakic's clean technique, so much power. I'm anxious to see what happens if it hits the mat. Um, it's funny because like I constantly sing Anthony's praises on the ground, and then people are like, "Ah, oh, but he got his, you know, he got dominated by Glover Teixeira." And what's funny is like this never came out publicly, but he told me that they exchange that we heard between Glover and Anthony actually started with Anthony saying to him, I'm not as bad on the ground as you thought, huh? Like I'm a lot harder to, to sub up, huh? And that was when Glover was like, sorry, man, I just got to do what I got to do down here. Right. So he does, he's got some skills on the ground. I, I just, I'm looking forward to it. I, it's going to be a good fight. Anthony Smith finishes, uh, he finishes Gustafson and Uzdemir from the back, and all of a sudden he's got bad jujitsu. Who these? And Glover Teixeira has awesome jujitsu. What are people talking about? I mean, okay, and he had, we got to get broken orbit Go ahead. at that point too. So you know, right? Yeah, missing teeth. I mean, what are you going to do? Okay. Uh, but listen, so we look forward to your coverage on Saturday. This is uh, my last opportunity to speak to you here on the show. I am certain I we will be speaking uh, in the future. But thank you for uh, making this show better when I had a chance to host it. And, um, you know, listen, I'm sure you'll be back on this channel as well very soon. But from my point of view, it's been great. We really appreciate it. And uh, you've, uh, like I said, you've made the show better. Well, thank you. And I thank you for having me, for allowing me to force you uh, to give me a segment. <laughs> Uh, but no, I seriously, I'm going to, I'm going to miss your voice so much, but I know I'll be hearing it in other platforms and can't wait to see what you do. Thank you so much, Laura. There she goes. Laura Senko. Have fun on Saturday. Dan Patrick radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and Fremantle win it after the siren. It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. Mail time. Mail time. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. All right, we're back. Luke Thomas Show. Let's get right into it. Time for the mailbag. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com is the place to get those in. We'll do another one in the next hour. So believe it or not, you actually still have some time. Without further ado, Cobb, let's get this party started. Mail, motherfucker. All right. Well, Carly actually submitted one, so I'll read it right now. Uh, All right. On the new job, Frankie Edgar is my favorite fighter. How has his fight style changed throughout each weight class? What parts of his game will be the most beneficial to, for him to utilize or better develop to be successful against the top 135ers? 
You know, I got to tell you, I would have to go into detail to get a better answer. But my first inclination is to say it hasn't really changed, not in any kind of significant way. He has, I'm not going to say he's been exactly the same. Obviously, that's not fair. And there probably are certain nuances that would take more, um, you know, dedicated tape study to reveal. But in general, he's not, this is not like Overeem, where as he got later, and uh, in his career and had a little bit of miles on him, went from kind of like an inside kickboxer to an outside sniper. That was a pretty clear and observable change you could map over time. With Frankie, it's still a lot of the same things. It's a lot of the same hand feints. It's a lot of the in and out, side to side, setting it up, trying to get the takedowns. You know, I think he's got... um, He had some success in both weight classes, taking people down. A little bit more at featherweight with like your Cub Swansons and holding them down. Um, we'll see what happens at bantamweight. Understand, he's also only had one fight at bantamweight, so it deserves to be noted. There's a lot more that has not been seen, and he's competing across different eras. MMA best practices were different when he was a lightweight. They were better as a featherweight, and he's entering a new era here at 135. And so it kind of tells you, while I don't think his game has changed that much, it tells you how good his game is that A, even without significant change, it's applicable across three weight classes. And two, across, I would argue, I'm not sure how many generations of fighters you want to say, but when he got into the game in 2005 and he's still relevant with his skills in 2020, granted he wasn't as good in 2005, but you know that style of fighting he's had, it tells you he's kind of been ahead of his time a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I would not expect a dramatic change unless there's a size differential. But he is, uh, he's still very, very capable of winning. Next. Answer my question! Well, as I said, we got a lot of well wishes, and this one comes from Farzine, who says, Hey, Luke, I got into MMA in 2016 and subscribed to SiriusXM in 2015. Uh, I'll dis- I discovered you, Fight Club, The Countdown, Brian Stan Show, and love the entire lineup of shows. Though it sucks to see all those shows are gone now, I'm very happy to see your move to CBS Sports. As someone who used to work in sports radio, what I loved about your show is that you didn't just talk about MMA. That made it better, in my opinion. Your knowledge and perspective of things I had little knowledge of, politics, movie, books, behind the scenes and sports, has helped me out a great deal. Uh, I've checked out your movie and book recommendations. I love The Night Comes For Us on Netflix. Showed it to yeah. my dad. He loved it, too. I bought the book, the, 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 book, the Death of Expertise, and loved that as well. Uh, please keep doing book recommendations on your Instagram because that has helped me a lot, and I'm sure others as well. Also, my mom absolutely loved your response to the Karens whining about the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Uh, not sure if it's possible for the producers to upload that segment to SoundCloud, but that would be great. Your show has always been my favorite radio show. Good luck, and I'll follow you on Morning Combat and CBS Sports. Wow, what a great note. Cobb, I don't remember. What was my response to the halftime show? Oh, I think the fact that like <laughs> the Karens, who all loved uh, Maroon 5 and Adam Levine, all of a sudden didn't like the Beyonce, uh, <laughs> the Beyonce. No, it was Shakira. It was Shakira. Shakira yeah. It was Shakira and uh, J-Lo, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, they liked a shirtless Adam Levine who looks like a Chipotle bag. 